now it's recording. Now it's recording, okay. yep. Recording. All right, we're good. So, um, 9 o'clock, we'll get rolling. Today, uh, we're talking about Old Testament and how we apply it for ethical guidance. It's, it's a long chapter, a lot of good stuff. I actually had to pick and choose. But um, anyways, let's pray and we'll get rolling and get going. Heavenly Father, um, <clears throat> God, we're talking about your word as a whole. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just let loose your spirit here like you always do and teach us um, how to apply your entire word because you say that it's profitable. So um, show us how, help us, and show us how to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so I'm going to pull this a little bit closer. All right, let all the slackers get settled. <laughs> all right. That wasn't pointed at anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, um, so how should Christians use the Old Testament for ethical guidance? The Old Testament is clearly part of the Bible, but sometimes it's not easy to know when and how to apply or follow the laws that are in it. The problems arise when, when some Old Testament passages mm-hmm. seem to fit so nicely into the teachings of Jesus and the, the New Testament authors, but some do not and require more work. For example, Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Um, the Gospels clearly record this, um, Jesus teaching this. So it's, it's very complementary between the Old Testament and New Testament. There's no discrepancy there. But then, some Old Testament laws that are are completely foreign to the New Testament teachings or even nullified by them. For example, uh, most Christians today would agree that eating pork or offering um, or sacrificing a lamb as a a sacrifice is no longer required for us today. Uh, But those situations are clearly detailed in the Old Testament law. Because the Old Testament contains such a variety of laws that seem perpetually valid, as well as some that seem to be discontinued, Christians have to figure out how and when to apply the Old Testament in ethical debates. So the goal of this lesson is to discover and understand how the different sections of the Old Testament relate to the New Testament in regard to ethics and how they play a role in the ongoing history of God's work in the Bible. So, we'll start with a a thesis statement of sorts. The statement basically summarizes how Grudem... Now, if you don't know, we're we're going through an ethics book um, by Wayne Grudem. Um, So this is how he uh, um, sees this discussion. The Mosaic Covenant, uh, which is the covenant we're going to be talking about, uh, which began when God gave the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, was terminated when Christ died. And Christians now live instead under the provisions of the New Covenant. However, the Old Testament is still a valuable source of ethical wisdom when it is understood in accordance with the ways in which the New Testament authors continue to use the Old Testament for ethical teachings and in light of the changes brought about by the New Covenant. So, let's first define our terms. 
So what do we mean by covenant? It's, the definition basically is it's an unchangeable, divinely legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. Three notable examples of Old Testament coven, covenants would be the one with Noah, the one with Abraham, and then Moses, the one that we're focusing on. So when I refer to um, the covenant with Moses or the old covenant or the law, um, we're all talking about the same thing, this Mosaic covenant. So in order to understand how to interpret the Old Testament rightly for ethical guidance, it is crucial that we grasp the difference between the old covenant that God established with the people of Israel through Moses and the new covenant that was established through Christ. So there are several explicit statements in the Bible that teach that the Mosaic covenant has come to an end. The Old Testament and New Testament talk of a new covenant. In the Old Testament, God promises through Jeremiah that, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And then in the New Testament, we hear Jesus talk about the new covenant, which is his blood poured out for us. This new covenant would replace or supersede the old covenant. And Paul refers to the old covenant as a ministry of death and says that it was being brought to an end. He calls this new covenant the ministry of the Spirit. Now, the, authors of, the author of Hebrews is very clear about how this new covenant makes the old covenant obsolete. Chapter 8, um, and I suggest if you read 7 through 10, that gives a really good background and context on it. But chapter 8 of Hebrews says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as more, much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no, no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Um, now, basically, this is, this is what we just we read from, from Deuteronomy. Um, and then he follows it up with, so, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And then he says this, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. So, basically, establishing that the new covenant is, is, is gone, or the old covenant is gone. So, it is important to remember that the author of Hebrews is not saying that just some of the Old Covenant laws are no longer binding to Christians. What he's saying is that the entire system of the Old Covenant is no longer in effect. Paul also says in Galatians that the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So the guardian there is the Old Covenant, and Jesus is the New Covenant. So Paul also says in Romans, But now we are released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. There is an abundance of statements in Scripture teaching us that the Mosaic Covenant or the law has come to an end. 
There are also specific legal obligations that we are no longer required to adhere to. For example, uh, physical sacrifices. Any further offering of sacrifices would basically indicate that what Jesus did wasn't sufficient. And that his dying on the cross wasn't good enough. So sacrifices that are rel- but sacrifices that are relevant to us now are more of a spiritual nature rather than a physical one. So some examples are like offering up a sacrifice of praise to God or giving someone or giving to someone in need is a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. Um, <clears throat> so now I've got a list there um, of other legal obligations, but I won't go through that because we'll be here forever. But, but you get the idea of these physical acts are no longer obligations for Christians. So why, why was the Mosaic Covenant terminated? First off, it was always meant to have a shelf life. It's always meant to be just temporary. Jesus was established as the Savior and, the, and basically the catalyst of the New Covenant before time had even began. It was all determined from the very beginning. So the law, the Mosaic Covenant, just highlighted our need for a Savior and it necessitated the coming of the new covenant. <clears throat> and the law was just basically put, uh, put in place to show us our sin and then restrain, uh, restrain our sin until Christ came. The great part is that the Mosaic covenant was always intended to be fulfilled by Christ. Paul says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes Christ brought about a, a termination of the law as a way of obtaining righteousness. But we do, but we do need, to, we need clarity and context with this because <clears throat> even Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until the heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until it's all accomplished. So what Jesus came to do, uh, he, he came to do what man could not do through the law. He fulfilled it. So we just get the credit for his fulfillment. And finally, the last reason why the Mosaic Covenant <clears throat> was terminated was because it could never be our answer to eternal life. And it wasn't meant to be. We sin, therefore we miss the mark. And the law requires perfection. And our flaw and our flesh makes perfection impossible. <clears throat> so it's interesting to note that the Mosaic Covenant was still in effect while Jesus was on earth, though. So this new covenant didn't, take, didn't begin until Jesus' death. So what this means is that Jesus lived under the Mosaic Covenant. He lived under this basically impossible law, yet he was still blameless, he never violated any laws. He never sinned. Although Jesus was quick to criticize and contradict the overly harsh traditions that had been built up by the, the teachers of the day and been added to the original law. And I think, I think Scott went through some of those uh, last week. But um, <clears throat> Jesus says in Matthew, speaking to the Pharisees, he says, for the sake of your traditions, you have made the word void. So even though Jesus lived under the Mosaic Covenant and law, much of his ministry 
was introducing and pointing people to what the new covenant would be. He spoke, he often spoke about the kingdom of God and what that would look like. Throughout the Gospels, the expression kingdom of God or its equivalent kingdom of heaven is used 85 times. Since the kingdom of God is is defined as the reign of God in our hearts and lives, this is just another indication that the new covenant is more about a spiritual relationship with God instead of a physical one. As the, as the Old Covenant highlighted. So rule, rule following <clears throat> um, relationship highlighted the Old Covenant, while it's more of a, a, uh, a, a heart relationship and spiritual relationship in the New Covenant. <clears throat> so this is interesting. I've never heard of this before. Um, it's sometimes helpful to discuss how to not view a topic when you're trying to determine how you should view a topic, right? So we're going to go through this idea or this ideology called theonomy. Anyone hear of it before? Of course, Allison. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, it advocates that um, portions of the Mosaic Covenant are, are still actually in force today. And the, the word theonomy basically means God's law. <clears throat> so one of the biggest advocates for this position is a guy named Greg Behansen. His position is that the moral and civil laws within the Mosaic Covenant remain in force today, and just the ceremonial portions of the law were abrogated by the coming, coming of the, the New Covenant. So some of the beliefs um, regarding civil governments or the following. Um, so basically, if, if he had his way, this is how governments would operate. Civil magistrates would need God's law to inform them how, to, how and where God's wrath is to be worked out in state issues. Magistrates who deny the penal directives of the law are therefore rebelling against being God's servants. Also, the civil precepts of the Old Testament are a model of perfect social justice for all cultures, even in the punishment of criminals. And civil magistrates today are under obligation to execute all those who commit capital crimes as defined by God's authoritative law. And if you remember, I mean, basically had anything to do with sexual sin, um, uh, even people that steal, lie, and what's interesting, um, he even notes um, one situation that requires the penalty of death is children that are incorrigible. So basically, if you have an unruly kid, <laughs> some of you may agree, some may not, but, um, but it just you know it just just highlights how intense it can be. Um, so, but it should be obvious why there's so many problems with his way of thinking. Uh, Grudem goes into detail for them. First, and most basic, it fails to recognize that the Mosaic Covenant in its entirety ended at the death of Christ, <clears throat> as we discussed earlier. Secondly, it advocates, um, or secondly, advocates of theonomy fail to recognize that that God's wise laws for the civil government of Israel as a nation then are not necessarily the laws for civil government of a secular nation now. 
Um, and this is a, a fundamental error and failure to recognize that the uniqueness of the redemptive and historical context in which the Mosaic law was given. So basically, they apply everything that was given then to all nations now. Theonomy is also very harsh and intemperate. Um, Grudem quotes a, a critic of this ideology named Vern, something I can't pronounce his last name. But basically, he says, a considerable number of Christians have received the impression that practicing theonomists are contentious and quarrelsome. A continuous source of aggravation, fights, wounds, and church splits. The repeated recurrence of the difficulty suggests that something within the movement itself somehow unleashes or encourages sin of this particular kind. Now, I don't personally know any theonomists, but I do remember, maybe Chris remembers, but when we lived in Texas, there was this huge church. Um, It was impressive. I mean, I mean, they had 20 or 30 buses. They would go throughout East Texas, bring people in from miles around. Um, but I remember I worked with a couple of the guys at UPS. And, I mean, I've been argumentative in my life. But I've never run into people more argumentative and sure of, of, sure of their faith, really. But, I mean, basically, it, any, I mean... I wore, I wore shorts, therefore I was sinning, you know, that kind of thing. You know, it's like that kind of mentality or, or you know, if you see, um, <clears throat> I was looking up, um, some. there's a couple of pastors in Texas that basically say all homosexuals should be just shot in the head, um, you know, and, and scourged from the earth, you know. It's that kind of mentality, I think, that this theonomy, um, you know, um, incubates, basically. So... Um, anyone have any experience with folks like this? Unfortunately, they would call themselves evangelical Christians, but Tim? Not, not directly, but uh, it kind of brings to mind for me the Muslims. True, yeah. The Muslims, you know, women have to be completely covered to remove the sexual thing. Uh, if there is stealing, well, you chop your hand off. Yeah. You know, I mean, there is a lot of corporal punishment that occurs over there. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's interesting because even uh, Wayne Grudem uses that same example. You know, to try to kind of set the scene for what these types of folks are like. You know, um, basically, you know, you've got the the Muslims that say they're peaceful, but then you got this other group out there that you know wants to kill everybody. You know, in that dichotomy. But um, it, well, and they, I, when I was in college, I was in a some class where we were studying religions and I actually went to a mosque and they were doing this presentation and then decided to lecture us on the fact that we should be obeying, as Christians we should be obeying Mosaic law like you shouldn't eat pig and all this stuff and it was like, what? And yeah. like, that's not what I'm under yeah. I will also say so I haven't studied theonomy very much, I have listened to some of Greg Bonson's things which is he's kind of the main, like you said, the main proponent of this movement or whatever. There are different categories of theonomy, but um, I I do struggle. I see what they're saying, but kind of like what you've been saying, it's very black and white. Mm-hmm. It's and, and and theonomists believe to the core that this is how everybody should be living. Right. There's no Christian liberty in that to make your right. own choices. But there are different categories of theonomists too. There's like 
a general uh, theonomy uh, and then like an equitable theonomy or something hmm. like that. So I just want to put that out there. Yeah, that, that could be maybe, maybe another Sunday school. <laughs> Well, it's black and white, but it's, it's hard yeah. for me to... Yep, and, and basically what it does, it sets me up perfectly. Thank you, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, you know, it's just not how Jesus would have it, right? It's not how he operated. So, and this is not what wisdom looks like. Um, James 3 says, Wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. These folks aren't that, right? So, and th- since theonomists would call themselves evangelical Christians, this extreme view just makes us look bad. It would only prove to distort people's perceptions of Christians in general. I mean, we see that in media all the time, right? <clears throat> so anyways, enough about them. Um, so how did the New Testament authors come to understand how they should apply the Old Testament to the questions of ethical conduct for Christians in the New Covenant. First, for the most part, they basically had private tutoring. They were taught by Jesus himself while he was on earth. For example, uh, when Jesus spoke about um, the Sabbath, he said, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This, this is kind of a simple example of how he interpreted the law and was correcting misconceptions about it. And by that time, there were probably so many stipulations and restrictions built around the Sabbath that I'm sure it was strange for the apostles to, to hear it said that way. Second, they had additional guidance from the Holy Spirit, of course, after Jesus ascended into heaven. Um, Jesus tells his apostles that when the Spirit of truth comes, you, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And as a result of Jesus' teaching and guidance from the Holy Spirit, the apostles were abundantly equipped to understand the teaching of the Old Testament correctly and to apply it wisely um, to the questions of living lives that, that are pleasing to God in the time of this new covenant. So sometimes they would even claim that they were speaking with the Lord's authority. I mean, oftentimes they would. Um, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things that I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. So the, the New Testament authors understood that the Old Testament on the, right, yep, um, the Old Testament was a valuable source of ethical wisdom. One way to understand how they would apply this is to break up the Old Testament into sections. Um, now there's the, I've got listed there, yeah. So there's the pre-Mosaic Covenant Old Testament, which is essentially Genesis 1 through Exodus 19. Then there's the Ten Commandments sections, there's two of them. And then the remainder of the Old Testament that's not, um, that doesn't cover the Mosaic Covenant. So even though the New Testament authors repeatedly affirm that the Mosaic Covenant had been terminated, they never taught or implied that we were free from the moral principles taught, um, for instance, in Genesis 1 through Exodus 19. Um, 
For example, the story of God's purposes at creation and God's judgment at the fall are particularly important because they lay the foundation for understanding for all subsequent human conduct. Pretty important. Also, Jesus reaches all the way back to the creation narrative to teach about the nature of marriage. So now, in regard to the Ten Commandments sections, nine of them are often quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. And even though Jesus talks about the Sabbath commandment in the Gospels, the New Testament authors never quote or affirm the Sabbath commandment as something applicable to New Covenant Christians. Um, But even though there are numerous New Testament affirmations, the moral standards found in, uh, um, in the Ten Commandments still stand. It would not be correct to conclude that the New Testament authors thought these command, commandments were binding, though, even though they taught about them, for Christians just because they were part of the Mosaic Covenant. That line of thinking would contradict the other passages that so clearly teach that the Mosaic Covenant has been terminated and that the New Covenant was in effect. So it's better to conclude that the New Testament authors were guided by the teachings of Jesus and the leading of the Holy Spirit, understood that God and his wisdom placed within the Ten Commandments some broad principles that would not only teach the people of Israel what kind of conduct is pleasing or displeasing to him, but would also be useful in teaching others outside of Israel and throughout history. So in short, the Ten Commandments radiate God's wisdom for all of human history. And now we get to the rest of the Old Testament. In order to understand what the New Testament authors were doing with the rest of the Old Testament passages, it's important to take into account five um, changes that came when the New Covenant um, was put into effect. First, as we talked about already, the Old Covenant was terminated. Therefore, Christians should first understand the laws of the Old Testament as regulations that were given for the people of Israel then, not as regulations that are legally binding on all people for all time. Second, Jesus, the Messiah, has come and offered the final sacrifice. Therefore, all the laws that pertain to the temple system, the priesthood, and any other sacrifices have been fulfilled. They've been satisfied. So Christians now obey these laws not literally as written, but in new ways, such as now the people of God represent the temple. And God's spirit dwells within us and not in some building. Um, You know, there's no need for a structural temple anymore. Thirdly, God's laws are now more powerfully written on the hearts of people. This is evidenced by how the New Testament um, standards for ethical conduct place more emphasis on inward righteousness, but still without neglecting instructions regarding actual conduct. The Old Testament did not focus as much on the details of, for instance, how to have a pure heart, nearly as much as it discussed directions about civil penalties and various crimes and punishments, more procedural stuff. Um, Now, the fourth way that the New Testament authors understood that the entire Old Testament is a valuable source of ethical wisdom is that they were keenly aware that God's people no longer constituted a separate earthly nation. 
Therefore, the laws governing the conduct of civil society under the Old Covenant are applied in new ways now to the church. The application of civil law in the Old Testament takes a focus um, takes a new focus in the New Covenant. It applies the civil rules and laws to life within the church body, not more of a governmental state. And finally, Gentiles or non-Jews no longer have to become Jews to be saved. It's good for us. <laughs> God is now saving people from every nation and ethnic group on earth. Therefore, the laws making the separateness of the Jews from other nations are now applied not in physical terms, but in terms of inward spiritual realities. Um, with this new covenant, God's people show that they are a distinct people, not by obeying laws about food and clothing, for instance, but by moral purity in their lives. Paul says, uh, Romans 2, 2, or 12, 2, Do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. <clears throat> so, with all that we have discussed so far, we should be able to draw some conclusions about the way the Old Testament should be used for understanding Christian ethics. Uh, we know that we should learn from the New Testament authors how to apply Old Testament passages to ethical questions, um, and keeping in mind the differences between the Old and New Covenants and the place of each passage in the overall history of the redemption of the Bible. Frequently, the New Testament authors will encourage Christians to grow in wisdom and discernment, which implies that skill in applying the Bible rightly to life is something that, that can increase throughout our lifetime. And I just, just read it a minute ago, but I'll read it again. Paul says that to be transformed by the renewal of our mind, that's how we do it. It, it takes practice and it takes work. Um, also, Paul prays for the Philippians like this. He says that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. <clears throat> These passages are addressed to people who had most likely been believers for several years already. So and it suggests that wisdom in how to live the Christian life, especially wisdom in the difficult task of applying the Old Testament rightly, like we're doing, it's a trait that Christians can acquire and practice with increasing accuracy as they grow um, grow in maturity. There's no simple formula, obviously, that will enable us to understand um, how to understand each passage correctly. But under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and following the pattern of interpretations that we see in the New Testament authors, we are to seek wisdom from God to rightly understand and apply this Old Testament. All right, that's what I've got. Any questions on this? Any discussion? Scott? So I'm going through a lot of this in my class that I just started two weeks ago. It's called Biblical Theology. And exactly what you're saying, I just went through a seminar that was actually taped by D.L. Moody himself. And he says, the Old Testament is the history of what man is. We're a fallen, horrible creature. 
God is good and always has been throughout time. The law was given so that man could attempt to be with God, which is something he could never attain, which pointed a need for our Savior. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, would we, the question is, okay, if we didn't have the law, would we know we, need, we needed a Savior? I don't think so. Anybody else? Okay. I think that, you know, concerning the, the Ten Commandments, which is part of the Mosaic Law, right? They, they need to be a continual <coughs> reminder for us, guide for us to live, that those by no means uh, you know, are of the past or to be forgotten or anything like that. And Jesus does talk about, or let me see, it's not Jesus, but the, the idea here, maybe it's Paul that's talking about, since we're <coughs> dead to the law, does that mean we should keep sinning? Right. That we can be more right. forgiven? So our grace increases, yeah. yeah. And so the law is very important for us. Yeah. Well, and I think also like the law, we now have the Holy Spirit who's writing the law on our hearts, or mm -hmm. I can't remember what that verse that is, but it's like, we're now internalizing, we now can internalize and actually be convicted of the things we're doing wrong by God himself in his Holy Spirit that's mm -hmm. in us. So I do think, I mean, Andy Stanley is, you know, unhitching from the Old Testament or whatever a couple of years ago, and it's like, no, no, no. We need yeah. the whole word of God. Right. But there's a reason the Bible has the Old Testament still in it, because you're right at what Scott and um, what Tim are saying. Like, we need to know those things. We need to have the history. We need the, the word of God is so important in showing us our sin. Um, and so we need, we need the Old Testament. And I don't, that's obviously not what Wayne Grudem is saying. I, like, he's saying, yes, we need all of it. It's just... Do we have to hold to those Old Testament laws right. in the same way? Right. And the answer is no. We're right. you know we're we're living on this side of the, of the cross. Right. Amen and hallelujah. So. Right. Well, I think it's beneficial. Like, you know, I mean, any ultra rule followers in here? You know, it's like you want to know. Okay. <laughs> how far can I go? What what's the what's the rule here? What's you know? Um, and I'm kind of that way. You know, is and it's 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 precision. You know, it's. It's nice to know, okay, if it's in there, what does it mean? Why is it in there? You know, and I think going, going through, Wayne Grudem is very good at being precise and, um, well, stating this is what it says. And, you know, the application part is always the interpretation, right? But, um, but it's good to be precise on what things say. You know, there's, there's, reasons why, um, there's reasons why these laws are still in there, like you said. You know? I have a question. The, what is considered the Mosaic Law? Is it just the Ten Commandments, or is it the Ten Commandments well, and, and everything on the Yeah, so what, what God put on the stones plus what he gave to Moses. Okay. And I don't know the entirety of that. But. Because I know at Jesus' time with the Pharisees, they added, like, where, is it known where that line is? Between the Mosaic Law and what the Pharisees made up? I would have to say yes. I mean... It's known somewhere. Yeah. Well, I mean, it'd be. Added to the 
Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a. It's also in like Leviticus. Like yeah. there's a lot yeah. of like yeah. the no, no shellfish, no yeah. um, blended fiber, clothing, yeah. Yeah. Peter was offered the meat that was first offered to idols, which what kind of meat was it? It was not meat. It could have been meat that he thought he wasn't supposed to eat. And he, he refused it. He said, I can't eat this. What did the Lord tell him? The Lord told him, if I have blessed it, what can be against it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and to answer your question, with the Ten Commandments, there was 638 laws. Is that what it was? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, and according to the Jews, when you go back and reference it, one of the most important ones was called was one called tinkling the pots, which means you had to lie in your pots up in a row and tinkle them in a certain order every week. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it's something different when I think of tinkle. I <laughs> know. <laughs> Well, especially so, especially the Sabbath because it's yes. so tangible. So right. like it's something you do weekly. It's reinforced oh. all the time. And he comes and says, no. well, "Yeah, I mean, there's Sabbath for you, not you for the Sabbath." Exactly. You know, like, <laughs> there was a reason why, and I think I mean, obviously the Pharisees were completely in the wrong. But I think if we put flesh on those people and we make yeah. them people instead of just like, oh, Pharisees are bad, it's like. I don't understand why a lot of people had a really hard time with this. And yeah. I praise God that yeah. I wasn't living in that time period because yeah. that had to have just been so completely, yeah. like, ground-shaking. Yeah. It just, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, I mean, we've been around some Messianic Jewish teaching stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that we have a weird view of it because they don't view they don't necessarily view it as like this heavy thing to follow these burdens. They actually a lot of them view it as a blessing sure. and a joy to follow those things. And I think the the Israelites, at least some of them, yeah, would have, would have viewed it that same way because they were the chosen people mm-hmm. and they got to Absolutely. have those rules to follow. Yeah. Yeah. So you know sometimes. It would be a different a different perspective if you grew up or whatever right. under that, you know, and um, it might be difficult to understand and like, well, all of a sudden, okay, these aren't, like you said, they're good things, right. but not, not necessarily I rules anymore. Yeah. That Right. We have, we have that meaning we don't right. have to live like the rest of the world. 
right. I think Jesus addressed that you don't follow the law just because it's the law. It's what's in your heart. Yeah. Yeah. That's all you are addressing to see. Yeah. I think does that. I think also a lot of the rules that they had to follow, that God gave them to follow, were a, a guideline to live the best life possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if yeah. you, because a lot of it, we look at it and read it, we're like, it's very bizarre, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some of it comes down to, um, like, their health, yeah. avoiding yeah. conflict, mm-hmm. yeah. keeping their ducks in a row, you yeah. know, organization. Yeah. And, yeah. <coughs> well, it's clear that, oh, sorry. If, yeah. if that was written today, what would that look like for us, yeah. you know? Well, and, and so it, I mean, so the, one of the reasons, right, for it was, is because God's like, okay, you're my people. You're going to be distinct. You're going to be so distinct that I'm going to set up probably some seemingly silly rules that other people are like, wow, they're a Jew because they have to do this. You know, they're, they're a Jew because they can't do this, you know. And so one of the big reasons was distinction. Well, now, um, there, is, there is no just distinct people. You know, or ethnic group or anything, but but yeah, it's it's interesting how it really did set them apart from everyone else because, um, well, you know, they couldn't have any pleather, right? You know, the not a mixture of cloth. <laughs> I think an interesting question to ask is what does set us apart now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What is it? Right. Our fruit. Our fruit, and that's Our that's love, right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. Right. That's like the core of what Jesus said, too. Is like, they're like, what's the greatest commandment, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. He said, well, to love the Lord your God and your neighbor right. as yourself. The law and the prophets are fulfilled within these two things. Right. So that's our barometer. That's our litmus test. Right. Uh, if we have something before us, it's what does love do in this situation? Yeah. And if you can't answer that, then you don't, the law doesn't mean anything right. at that point. You know? Right. If I'm going to, for my brother, maybe it's not good that, you know, I eat pork. Well, I'm not going to do that around him because that wouldn't be loving. Am I doing it because the law says that? No, I'm doing it because of the law of love, which is greater. Right. Right. So that's a question we all have to, and that's going to separate us from the world. Yeah. Now. Right. But he says that also in answer to the Jewish laws. Exactly. It's kind of interesting, yeah. right? Because yeah. that was intention mm-hmm. all the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The whole time, yeah. The whole time. Yeah. So, we so. know several people who have come to become followers of Christ because of the love that they have seen in Christians. Mm-hmm. And that they say, what is this? Mm-hmm. Turn the other cheek? Yeah. yeah. We're not used yeah. to that. Yeah. yeah. So they yeah. go investigate. Yeah, that's the distinction, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what sets us apart. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Praise God. I think it was kind of interesting also kind of don't find immediately that in the end times it seems like there is with the Jews there will be some sacrificial system again and that's kind of mind-boggling for me mm. where does this come from mm. if it's from the IRT yeah. Yeah, yeah specifically for the Jewish people yeah. like mm-hmm. that's, that's interesting that they need this to be right talking about the love because the love of Christ is true and pure love and the world has a very distorted picture of love and when they see pure love it's you know pure love brings the joy and peace that we're looking for to fill the 
a hole in our in our hearts and <coughs> sees that we have that they want that and of course we all know we've all done things before trying to fill that void mm -hmm. but you know what it boils down to is yeah. love I feel like right now in the modern world and also everything that's happening right now, that's always like, you deserve love, right? That's what everyone keeps saying. And that's like, you deserve love, but nobody is saying you ought to give love. Mm -hmm. And I think that messes everything up because everyone says, I deserve love, but I don't have to give it. And that's the opposite of like, you're supposed to be giving love. Mm -hmm. And right. therefore, other people receive it. Mm -hmm. But I think that's that's what now with Christians, we're not like, hey, you're supposed to love me just the way I am. It's yeah. more like, I'm going to love you regardless of who you are, because yeah. that's what Jesus did. Yeah. And it's a very big contrast. Mm -hmm. It's a selfish twist on it. Yes. It? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, when I see this, like this whole teaching, you know, and the summary, like right here in front of us, it's... It's kind of like almost burdensome in a way because it's it's like for me I start read if I would just go into that the way that it's displayed this is a task of a life of a lifetime right it's almost like so what do I have to do then do I have to go back in the Old Testament to figure all this stuff out and like try to do the best I can in every single situation and like break it all down and the thing that I hear and that gives me the most comfort is that Jesus did simplify it mm -hmm. for us. He really did. Mm -hmm. In saying love. The love in the, you know, that this fulfills the love, uh, the law and the prophets, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you love your neighbor as yourself and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? So if I focus on that, I don't have to necessarily go back and dissect right. to figure, right? right. So, like, because right. I'm just shooting for love. Right. right. And. And, and, that, and that gives me comfort because I'm like, well, I don't have to like, yes, it's a task of a lifetime, but I don't have to go back and like decipher, you know, because mm -hmm. that almost seems like it's impossible. Right, right. You know, like who has that time, right? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, right. we can live Christian lives today, you know? Right, right, right. And he gives us the power to do that. And we can, I mean, that's the whole point of the Holy Spirit, right? Right, right. Fills right. Us up and... Question, you know, in the Old Testament times, under the law, wouldn't there be a great assuring question? You know, at the end of our, when we're nearing the end of our lives, we'd be looking back, did we do everything properly? Did we hold the law? Did we break the law back here and, and forget about it? You know, did we do something that maybe we didn't bring to mind and we didn't, when we did our sacrifice, we didn't remember that one? I, to me, that that's, would be a great assurity question of, did I do everything right? Where under Christ, it's, I did it right because he did it. Yeah. 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 It's also, I think, that the moment that they entered the promised land, that they must have been in an amazing state with God. So many years in the desert being molded. Hmm. And I think the time they entered the promised land, there must have been an amazing relationship with God. And, and then they messed up again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it say that there wasn't even a sick, one sick or one feeble 
a weak person among them. Yeah. Pretty crazy. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Two million people or whatever million people it was. Didn't, didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> Any other thoughts, questions? Are we? I can't see that. Yeah, oh, too. yeah. Okay. Well, let's pray. Good. Yeah, it's very, it's just yeah. Kind of makes you understand the things Good, good stuff. Yeah, and go back and read uh, Hebrews seven through ten. That's a, a good section. Um. Anyways, I don't, I don't know what next week is, so we have to, there's a schedule somewhere. But all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, God, we thank you uh, for this wisdom. Um, Lord, help us understand and apply uh, what you've taught us here today. Because uh, really, Lord, it it boils down to Christ and what you've done and who you are. Um, Lord, help us to, Lord, in, in all that we do, in all of our study, in all of our thoughts and everything, Lord, that it point towards you, that, it, that you get all the glory in everything that happens. Um, and even in the application of all this reading and, and everything, Lord, it's not about following rules. It's about pointing to your glory and your further glory. Um, so, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for the discussion. Thank you for the people here. Um, and I pray that as we go into the next service, God, that you, again, be glorified um, in every way possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Brian.